Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. In Vanessa Lapa's latest documentary film, Spear Goes to Hollywood, the highest-ranking Nazi at the Nuremberg trials to be spared the death penalty, Albert Speer was one of Adolf Hitler's closest confidants and his chief architect tasked with rebuilding Berlin as the capital of the Nazi global empire. As Reich Minister of Munitions, Albert Speer was responsible for overseeing 12 million slave laborers. And yet, even now, he has a reputation of being the good Nazi, a myth carefully constructed by Speer himself. Speer goes to Hollywood, meets its protagonist in 1971 while Speer was working on a screenplay based on his best-selling wartime memoir, Inside the Third Reich. It's a terrific documentary film about a confident charlatan who was able to, through his charm and his intelligence, to deceive people about who he was and what he did. The film again is called Spear Goes to Hollywood, and we're joined today by the director of the film, Vanessa Lapa. Vanessa, welcome back to Film School Radio. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I want to mention also that you had been on previously to talk about your documentary about Heinrich Himmler called The Decent One. Tell me a little bit about what inspired you to want to move forward on this at the end of a screening of The Decent One at the Film Forum in 2014, a man came to me and he asked me if I have more of the correspondence between Albert Speer and Heinrich Himmler. And I said yes. And then he gave me his card. You know, it was seven years ago. There were still cards and notes. <laughs> Not everything was on the iPhone. So I said yes, and then he asked to meet me the next morning, but the next morning I was having interviews in New York. So it took about eight months for me to meet with him. I didn't really want to meet with him, not because I didn't want to meet with him, but because I had this gut feeling that was he, what he will going to tell me is something that I won't be able to say no to. And Tomer Eliav, the the sound designer and the producer together with me on Sperr Goes to Hollywood, made this appointment with Stanley Cohen eight months later and we, meant, we went to meet with him and he told me about the 1971 Paramount project and he urged me to be in contact with the scriptwriter. So three months, it took me again three months to reach out to the scriptwriter, to Andrew Birkin, and once I did, I flew to Wales, I met with him, and after 10 minutes, he pushed play, and I heard Albert Speer in English, and I understood that this is the next film, because, you know, you cannot say no to such material, and the curiosity and the responsibility takes over, you know, any, any wish not to be involved with Nazis anymore. In the introduction, I brushed up against some of the, the legacy of Albert Speer, and I want to kind of give it some context when he met Adolf Hitler, kind of his background. He starts out in the, in the film, as we see, as an architect, but I want to take it from there. Let's talk about that for a couple of minutes in terms of just setting up 
the context of his life and how he became part of the Third Reich. So he was, you know, he was a German citizen and he was having trouble to get a job because it was Germany of the early 30s with the problematic economical situation. And Hitler offered him a job. So he said yes. And then, you know, he became Hitler's architect and closest confidence. Now, to my opinion, you know, it's easy to, in a certain economical situation, to say I couldn't have any work. And the only reason I went with Adolf Hitler is because he promised me to have work. I'm quite positive that Speer is a devil, not less than Hitler is. Well, let's go back a little bit and, and to, to describe where Adolf Hitler was in his ascendancy in Germany. In 1930, there was a Nazi party, but it was considered politically a fringe party. Help me a little bit about that particular period, about the early 1930s. It was indeed considered as a fringe party, but the the reality of the political, social, and economical situation gave space for someone like Hitler because he promised a better future for the German people, a very nationalistic approach. He would give what he did work to the German people and not to foreigners. And was this, and my history may be off, so correct me if I'm wrong, but it was around this period of time when there was a, an attempt in Munich by Hitler's party to overthrow the government, right? Oh, yes, you're correct. Okay. So there was already an understanding of kind of the political goals, the political background for someone like Speer to know what he was getting himself into. He, so there's no way that Speer could not have known the aims and objectives of the National National Socialist Party at that point, right? Correct. Okay. Don't forget five years earlier, there was the, you know, Adolf Hitler published his book, Mein Kampf, you know, My Fight. So anyone who really read it, even today, if one reads it, the goals and the subtext and even the text is so obvious. So I just want to, I'm going to lay that out there for people to understand. Speer had to know what he was getting himself into when he was introduced to Adolf Hitler and he accepted the job from him. Put that out there. Okay. So from there, as Adolf Hitler, by 1933, 34, he was now the chancellor of Germany. 33 became the chancellor. And then we see in the film what, what Hitler intended for Germany, what Hitler, and the and this is important in our political context today, the grievances that he projected for the German party that needed to be addressed, including the Jews, including the involvement of the whatever. And you can please help me because I, I want to make sure I'm saying these things correctly. No, what you say is, is so accurate. And the, you know, the parallels to today, you know, are, are obvious. To be in a, a political and economical vacancy, I'm not sure that it's the right word, and to look for a leader, for a god, you know, for someone to go after. And like Speer is saying in the film, Hitler had to be 
bigger and in the middle, like a priest is in the church. You know, it's like the opium of the people. So the right. craving to, you know, to something to believe in, to someone to believe in, is very similar to what we see today. As Speer said in, in the film, it was love at first sight when he met Adolf Hitler. Okay. I, 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 because much of the rest of Albert Speer's story is, is a d- denial. It's about denying what we basically deny our lying eyes, according to, I mean, if you were to kind of believe the big picture here. You know, if I can say something, I think it's worse than denial because I think that it's full awareness and a choice not to see the other and to see only himself and his megalomania and his aim and whatever he wants to achieve. I don't think that someone like Albert Speer was, you know, waking up in the morning and when he was brushing his teeth, he was asking himself any moral question like you and me do. You know, the parallel to, you know, to the Trump campaign, for example, is is obvious. And I remember that during COVID, when we were locked down, I followed, you know, the Trump campaign. And I asked, Tomer, do you think that Donald Trump in the morning is asking himself if he's bringing this mass people to a rally? Is it right or wrong? So Tomer told me, He's neither nor, he's just not asking himself any questions. So there is no denial because there is no moral still stand to reflect. There is no reflection. I want to talk a little bit about Andrew Birkin and the, how this all came about. In Somewhere in the back of my mind, I do recall a film that eventually came out about, I know the book, the book, the Inside the Third Reich, which again, I really need to kind of frame that as well. It came out in the 1970s. It was a huge hit. I remember as a young boy seeing it everywhere. I saw this book in you know, all kinds of different places, obviously a fascination with what happened during the, the Nazi reign over Germany. But Nonetheless, here is Andrew Birkin, who is there representing Stanley Kubrick for a possible film. But that's a wow. That's a, something I'd never heard of before. And let's talk about Andrew Birkin and where he fits into this story. You know, first of all, I want to say that, you know, regarding the book, you know, we all know the book and you know it better than me. But, you know, I know it. I also grew up with the book. My parents had the book of Speer in the library. And as a sincere and profound Democrat. I believe that Albert Speer has the right to write a book and it's even interesting. What is my concern is that until today, there is no preface to the book. There is no historical context. And as of today, 2000 copies of Inside the Third Reich are still sold without a preface. This is regarding the book. Regarding Andrew, you know, if Andrew was 26 years old, he obviously was conquered by Albert Speer, like bigger and more intelligent and smarter 
people than him, even the judges at Nuremberg fell into the charm of Speer. So I think that the, the fundamental question is how a major studio like Paramount choose to send a 26-year-old guy to spend three months with a convicted high-ranking Nazi. This is the fundamental question. Because obviously Andrew did his best and he did insert into the script two scenes that are not in the book, namely the Poznan scene and the Mauthausen scene. But again, obviously he fell into the charm of Speer, Justice Jackson fell into the charm of Speer. The, the, everyone fell into the charm of Speer. So obviously a 26-year-old scriptwriter fell into the charm of Speer. Uh, I want to remind our listeners that we're speaking with Vanessa Lapa, the uh, director of this documentary film, this terrific, amazingly well-done documentary film called Speer Goes to Hollywood. It's about Albert Speer, who was one of the key people in the Third Reich, one of the who ends up being the head of the munitions production for the war effort. There's just so many things about him and his story that if you were to step back and away from the, the gauze of all the things that have been put in front of you about him, you'd be horrified. I mean, that's the thing. And this is what I love about the film. You take the blinders off of people's eyes and allow us to see in real terms just how monstrous he was, and he can be as charming as you have described him and get away with it for a period of time. But it's like a lot of, and I'm going to call him something you may not be comfortable with. He was a sociopath. And in my mind, and we're often charmed by sociopaths because they are able to speak without a conscience. They're able to speak in, in ways that are, are um, seductive. And they often tell us things we want to hear. And that's how I feel after watching your film. What you just said is so accurate and it gives me the chill because in the beginning of the editing, you know, there was this inner joke that we all would have liked or agreed to go for a drink with Albert Speer. But after two months of editing, it was not even a good joke because none of us would have gone even for two minutes with Albert Speer because to me, it's, he's even worse than Heinrich Himmler because of his good looks, his charm, his knowledge, his, the languages that he speaks. He's just, you know, the worst kind of human being that I, everything in human nature that is bad is embodied in Albert Speer. It comes with that ability to, to prey upon our better instincts, the, the, the impulse that most people have to want to believe the best about someone until proven otherwise, he was able to be seductive long enough to avoid being found out. Unfortunately, yes. For us, you know, as step by step during the research, very soon I realized what monstrous choices he did and how evil he is. But I totally agree with you that it is very dangerous because so tempting, especially someone like Albert Speer. Andrew Birkin, and that this part of the film is wonderful in the sense that you can hear 
the back and forth between the two of them in these in these recordings. These are you use some use voice performers to reenact the tapes. Re record. Re record. Thank you. Everything is hundred percent accurate. Every breath, every pose, every laugh, and the reason for this is that besides the very poor quality of recording almost 50 years ago it was recorded you know in 49 years ago if we are talking 2021 terms but beside that it was recorded over a period of three months so assuming that you know you are now recording our conversation if i go to the terrace but you don't i don't take my computer with me you will hear me way less good. So for a 98-minute film based on our conversation, one cannot keep, you know, it's, it's a combination of both. For example, when they are entering the car, you hear the engine, but the window is open, so you also hear the wind and the birds and the people outside and you know, when Tomer was cleaning all of this, it was inaudible unless, you know, he was stretching the waves. And then again, for an audience, for a viewer, it's inaudible. Very good. Thank you for that. And, but in those tapes, in those conversations, you can hear the sparring. And again, I'm so glad you brought up that Andrew was 26 year old, 26 year, years old, because two things were, I think, were in play. He wanted to get information from Albert Speer. First of all, he wanted, he was there. He had the audience with him. He wanted that. And then the second part of it is he obviously, in my opinion, obviously wasn't sophisticated enough to understand the verbal sparring, the sort of back and forth Speer was giving him as most sociopaths do give you just enough information to, to answer specific questions and then allow you to move on without really asking the real questions. And I, that's what I heard in the tapes as well. There were so many points in this, these conversations where if Andrew had just said, well, what about that? And, and it, they would have, and he, he may have said, we're done. I'm not going to do this project. You, you know what I mean? He, he had to kind of deal with that part of it too. So there's a lot going on. Is that fair? Totally fair. Totally accurate. Yeah. Wow. There's just so much here. I saying it even in you know the 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 audio that is in the film there are two two moments where he's saying to Andrew okay let's talk about it at a later stage yes. we'll talk about it when we'll get to that yes so it's exactly you know your analysis is so accurate yeah and 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 there's things that I know of from books I have read about um is I'm going to make sure I say it right. Mauthausen, 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 yeah. Mauthausen. There's things I know about that, and I was horrified. I mean, I when I first heard of it and what it was about, and they were, I believe, using at that time Russian soldiers that they had brought in POWs and just working them to death. And this is something the spear had a complete oversight of and control. Um, you know, I can, I can only strengthen what you are saying. And again, I said it 
three weeks ago at Telluride on a panel with Annette Insdorf. If I had to choose to be in the line of Heinrich Himmler or the line of Albert Speer, I would have chosen to be in the line of Heinrich Himmler because at least with Heinrich Himmler, you take your clothes off, you get into a shower and after three minutes, it's over. In the line of Albert Speer, you go through slave labor, humiliation, hunger, starving, torture, torture, and at the end you are anyway dying. And even if physically you are, you manage to survive, you that anyway. I hoped I would be that person that would be a partisan and fighting against the system, but I don't think that any of us is in a position to judge, but I really confirm and strengthen what you just said. He, he literally took human beings. He didn't understand why Heinrich Himmler is putting them in gas chambers because they were healthy and a working force. So why not abuse them until they're dead? Why kill them just now? I mean, it's the worst the worst one, I, I mean, yeah. Yeah. There are things that are said during the Nuremberg trial. And there, there's also a, a, a point in the film in which Speer claims to have planned to kill Hitler, which seem not to be, you know, probably not true. But again, he was setting himself up to be given he, he was planning ahead. He, he understood the war was over. There were going to be consequences, probably just what happened at Nuremberg was going to happen. And he was planting the seeds of his own escape, essentially, at least hoping it would be. You can't fault him for not being an, an intelligent man. That part he was. But again, I'm so happy for this film because so much of this is just laid bare as just just a lie, just a complete and a sociopath telling lies. You you understood very well, you know, the plot of killing Hitler. We believe, you know, it's the brilliance of the editor, Joel Alexis, but this is the audio we have. And on the head, on the other, in parallel, the research we did. So Obviously, it's a lie and part of his defense line. He didn't really intend to kill Hitler, but part of his defense line was to appear as if he cared about the German people as opposed to Adolf Hitler, who didn't care about the German people. Yeah. Thank you for this film, Vanessa. Thank you for the decent one as well, because I am of the mind that we cannot have enough information and reflection on this period of history. I don't think you can overdo it in terms of understanding what can happen, what did happen, and why. And I, in reference to another documentary I saw recently, uh, The Meaning of Hitler, uh, Petra Epperlin and Michael Tucker's documentary, I think that these are the things that we should be talking about. There's was a little more uh, 
visceral in terms of you know what he what Hitler meant to to the people of Germany and to the world and why we how we reflect on him now. This is much more direct. This is much more. This is much more um, about lessons that we should have learned already about people like him. But uh, I, nonetheless, we cannot know too much, in my opinion. And I, I'm so grateful for you for, for making this film. Spear goes to Hollywood, and I want to let people know that they can see the film. It is opening here in Los Angeles on November 5th at the Lemley Town Center, as well as the Lemley Royal in Los Angeles. I know this must be difficult to, to do these portraits or these films about these people. Portrait's not a good word. These, these, these films about these people. But I don't know if I should say out loud, I hope you continue for your own mental health, the sake of your own mental health. But nonetheless, um, these are valuable, valuable um, uh, pieces of art for us to, to look at. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Again, the film is called Spear Goes to Hollywood. We've been talking with the director, Vanessa Lapa. Thank you. Hey, thank you. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Thank you.